And now we come on to our, our readings this morning. Now, uh, as you know, this term, we are looking at some of the larger covenants that the Lord has made. And today uh, we are studying the covenant that God makes with Noah. So with that in mind, we have three readings from the book of Genesis. And I'll read them in just a moment. The first one is starting at Genesis 6, verses 5 to 22. And then we jump to 8 and then jump to Genesis 9. And hopefully all will become clear very shortly. So the words are on the screen and I'll read them now. Genesis 6, verses 5 to 22. And this is to do with the building of the ark. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and the Flood. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Haph, Ham and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth was filled with, is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now we move to Genesis 8, chapter, chapter 8, 18 to 22, and this is after the flood. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark one kind after another. 
And Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, uh, okay. Day and night will never cease. My apologies for that. Uh, and now we come on to uh, Genesis 9, 1 to 17, and this is God's covenant with Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by human hands shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I will now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living, living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all the life on the earth. Morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, before I forget, there was one other birthday today. I think it's Martin Marston. Is that right? Martin's um, Martin's birthday this morning. Happy birthday, Martin. Um, and I uh, hope, hope you have a good day. We're, we're looking at God's covenants. And I guess you might be asking the question, why are we looking at God's covenants? 
Uh, and the simple answer is that God always relates to his people through a covenant. God always relates to his people through a covenant. So that means he relates to us um, through a covenant, through a pact, an arrangement, a treaty. Um, and we need to understand what the terms are um, of that so that we can understand how to relate to God properly. And I guess uh, it struck me in one of the songs we sang this morning that one of the things God does in his covenant is he says, I will be your God. And that means he commits himself and his resources to us. So when the song says that he is fighting our battles, and um, that's absolutely right. That's in the nature of a covenant and uh, that God commits himself to us to, to fight our battles. So I'm going to pop up the PowerPoint. Um, and the sermon notes uh, were on your invitation this morning. Um, and a copy of the slides are also out there. They're on the WhatsApp. They're on the um, and the sermon notes too, if you want them. So God always relates to us through through covenant. And one of the things we'll discover as we go through is that each covenant develops out of the previous one. So some things, uh, some features of those covenants are retained each time. Covenants are always about. Um, it's always about grace through faith. Covenants are always God's sovereign intervention. I think that's one of the things we'll see really clearly uh, and perhaps then understand more clearly for ourselves how um, it's always God's grace that the covenants come about. They're always about, in one way or another, God's people in God's place under God's rule so that they can experience God's blessing. Those features of the covenant never change. Some things change, um, like... Uh, the uh, animal sacrifices. Uh, some parts of the older covenant are signposts to the final one. So the animal sacrifices, that insistence on blood, talk a bit about today, uh, is a pointer um, to Jesus' final once for all sacrifice um, for all time. Uh, so something's changed because they're signposts. And when you reach a destination, you don't need a signpost anymore. But together, these um, covenants tell us how to understand uh, the Bible and they tell us how the Lord wants to relate to us right now right here um, even this morning so the story so far is this um, at creation God's people were Adam and Eve um, representatives of all humanity they were in God's place for them which was the Garden of Eden but they were sent out to subdue the world um, they were given some general rules as to how to live work uh, they were to work was uh, part of the plan and they were to respect the Sabbath um, and, and marriage uh, was God's plan for humankind. And they were given, though, a specific rule, a rule specific to their situation. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as we as we discovered last time, uh, Adam and Eve, they broke the covenant. And so after the fall, um, God's people are still Adam and Eve um, and, and their descendants and their family to come. But now they're outside the Garden of Eden. Um, as we saw, work, marriage and childbirth have been um, cursed. They become hard and painful in, in the ways they weren't um, planned to be. Um, but there is uh, a promise, a promise that there will be a serpent crusher, a child of the woman. Uh, will be that serpent crusher. And there is a, a rule, a new rule. Um, blood must be shed uh, for sins to be forgiven if humans are to approach the Lord. 
And even though that only gets written down, that rule gets written down in the law of Moses, I think it's understood um, in the story of, of Cain and Abel. And as we'll see, I think Noah understands it too. But this covenant too breaks down and we read that awful, uh, those awful words in um, Genesis 6, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil um, all the time. That's what the Lord saw. And um, that there were, uh, that the, everybody's heart, there was no desire, um, no desire to seek the Lord. Uh, so as one writer says, the divine ultrasound shows that human hearts naturally long for God to get lost. That's what he discovers at that time. There were no hearts motivated by a desire to please the Lord. There were no um, hearts um, seeking his face. And this is the essence of sin. And we, I think, we, we, we talk about sin often as some kind of standard of kind of goodness and badness. And I think particularly when we, we talk to children, uh, we, we think about talking about some level of goodness or badness. But that's not the essence of sin. The essence of sin is, is whether um, the attitude of the heart um, is Godward or selfward. And I think if we look around the church, we would not want to say we're all a bunch of really nice people, but under the surface, and only you know, um, is your heart really Godward um, all of the time? How much of the time is your um, heart Godward? And how much of it is essentially self-word, um, family-word, business-word, whatever it might be? Not that those things don't need some attention, but it's a question of where your heart in a sense, is directed. It reminds us, doesn't it, of Romans, uh, Romans 3. Uh, there's no one righteous, not even one, uh, Paul says. Nothing's changed uh, from Genesis 6 to Romans 3, Romans 3 to, uh, to the world we live in today. But in the midst of this, we, we find this statement that Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Um, Noah found Grace. I think favour, you can translate that grace. Noah found grace um, in the eyes of the Lord. So although a little bit later on we read that Noah was a righteous man and blameless among the people of his time and he walked faithfully with God, he wasn't sinless. His faithful walk was a gift from the Lord. I think we are to take this because the grace comes first. Um, as it does in the New Testament, you know, in your own life, grace comes first and then the walk with the Lord. Um, we're given faith uh, by God's grace. And then that faith works itself out in our lives here in the in the story of Noah. And grace came first uh, in chapter eight. And then a new section of the story begins. And then in, in verse nine, Noah is a, a righteous man. He's not a sinful man. He's a man who's received grace by by faith and he's walking. Um, in that faith so the covenant has broken down this is kind of about 1500 years maybe a bit more than that um, since since Adam and Eve it's quite a long time um, and the human race have turned away from God um, and God steps in uh, as we see we're going to see him do time and time again to re-establish his covenant so he steps down and makes um, a, a covenant with Noah. And actually, Genesis 6 is the first time we find the word covenant explicitly uh, used in the Bible. Um, and his covenant with Noah is very simple. He says, um, I, I'm going to put an end 
to all people. So make an ark, I'm going to bring a flood. It's very simple. I will um, establish my covenant with you. And he says explicitly with your wife and your sons and with their wives. Um, it's a family rescue uh, and plus all the animals. And so for this moment in time where God uh, begins to reestablish his covenant with Noah, God's people are these um, eight people. Um, God's place is an ark. It's a floating box. And the rule for blessing is really simple. Build a box, build the ark. Um, and, and get on board. And Noah is saved by this faith that he exercises. It's very clear, isn't it? God says to him, build an ark, um, get on board. And we read it in Hebrews 11, by faith, Noah, when he warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So by faith, he condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah, in a very literal kind of way, um, as he builds an ark and gets on board, he is saved by faith. And so he's a picture. I mean, it's very real. It's a true story, but he's a picture at the same time to us of what it means to be saved by faith. Um, so the Lord comes to you this morning uh, and he says, I'm going to judge everyone. A little bit like he says, to know I'm going to judge the earth. Destruction will come. I will return. There will be a day of judgment. And he says, here is a lifeboat. Here is a life raft. It is my son, Jesus, and his righteous life and his death for you. And he says, get on board. Get on board and I will count you righteous. Get on board and I will save you um, from the coming destruction. Is that you? Are you on board? I trust you are, but if you're not, then get on board. It's time to put your faith in Christ. He's the righteous life we credited to you. He, he's, uh, and after that sinless life, he's died a sacrificial death. That's for you. That's for you if you want it. If you kind of just put your trust in it this morning, then it, for you, it's like the ark. You just get on board um, and you are saved by that um, act of faith as Noah was. Just a, some things change and some things stay the same as this um, covenant is re-established. The curses, those, uh, 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 the hardness of work, uh, the pain of childbirth, the difficulties of marriage, they, they stay. Uh, they're still in this new covenant. They haven't changed. Um, there is an extra little side blessing along the way, uh, which is meat. Uh, I'm really glad about that. I do like a bit of meat, um, though we've got to be responsible about the way we do it. And there is an extra explicit little command, um, which was this one. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. There's, there's, there's an explicit command about a proportional kind of punishment, um, especially uh, for murder. So this covenant is renewed. And you'll hear a couple of times that it sounds very much like the covenant with Adam and Eve, doesn't it? Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The Lord says that um, to them twice. Um, but on top of this renewed command to essentially go and carry on the covenant that I made with Adam and Eve, 
um, I reckon there are four little things, um, four little aspects of um, protection and uh, preservation um, that the Lord uh, has added into this covenant. Um, preservation is the word. It's, I'll, I'll just stop the PowerPoint for a minute. That was your red word if you're doing the notes and if you're doing the word search. Preservation is the word. Four little aspects of, of protection and preservation. Firstly, no one and his family protected from the animals. We don't realise, we're not told why he needs to be protected from the animals. I think we have to assume that um, at the fall, um, they've become savage and they've become dangerous. Uh, they've become uh, aggressive. But now um, God says the fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky. Um, the animals will uh, fear people. And actually, it's just an interesting thing, isn't it, that animals do, um, un unless they're um, domesticated, animals as a rule fear people, um, and it's a really good thing that they do. Um, and you know what happens in, um, in parts of the world, you know, occasionally you get um, uh, a shark that's lost its fear and starts attacking people, or you have a, uh, a tiger in parts of the world, you hear about this occasionally, it's lost its fear. And when an animal loses its fear, it's, it's a real, uh, it can be a really devastating thing. So we're grateful to God that animals generally uh, are, are frightened of us. Um, but in, I guess, the bondage to decay that the Lord has set upon the world, occasionally these things um, don't happen. But in the main, um, protection from animals, that was the first one. Um, second one, protection from uh, each other's actions. This is just coming back to this law that, that God has given them about if somebody sheds human blood, then by um, humans shall their blood be shed. They're given a very kind of basic kind of law, which is an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, isn't it? And it finds its expression uh, in the law of Moses. If there is serious injury, it says in the law of Moses, Exodus 21, this is, you ought to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. It says that the kind of punishment should be proportional to the crime. Um, and actually it's a restraining thing as much as it is a permission giving thing. It's a restraining thing. And the punishment shouldn't be greater than the crime. And I guess that leaves us a, with a question. It sounds a little bit brutal to us. Um, but in the new covenant, that's the covenant that we're under, um, Paul says that we should be subject to governing authorities because there isn't a governing authority except what God has established. This is Romans 13. Um, and he says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And he says this, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free, free from fear of the one in authority? then do what's right and you'll be commended. It's very simple, isn't it? For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Interesting, isn't it? Even in the new covenant, Paul says that God has given the state, those in, in authority, the right to use force, uh, to maintain order. So Christians differ on the death, death penalty. I think I would argue that um, Romans 13, uh, 
would seem to suggest this idea of uh, authorities using the sword, um, that the state does have uh, a right ultimately to, to take life. We generally only do that in, in times of war. But I think if you push me, I would say from Romans 13 that the state has the right to take life. I think the state probably has the, the right to, to take life for judicial reasons. But I think if I were the state, and I think in a democracy, in a sense, I am a part of the mechanism of the state, I would choose for that, not that option not to be used because I think we're flawed people. And I think our judgment is always flawed. And I, for one, wouldn't want to be responsible for, for that taking the life of somebody in that context. Um, I think we're too flawed for that. But the state clearly has a right in some circumstances. I think we can debate about which they are and which they aren't, and what is a just war and so on. But the state still has a right um, to use force for public good. But the rule for individuals is entirely different. One rule for the state, one rule for individuals. Jesus said, you've heard, it, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. The rule for individuals uh, is not to return the aggression that is shown for you. But there's a beginning of a law here. So known family protected from animals, protected from each other, uh, protected from destruction. I mean, I guess that's the key one. That's the big one, isn't it? Um, so we saw last time that creation has been um, cursed with a measure of, uh, of disorder and decay, but they will be protected, God says, from total destruction. God puts his bow uh, in the clouds. And, and in, the, in our version of the Bibles, there's a difference between rainbow and bow. But there's no difference in, in Hebrew. It's the same word for God's war bow as the bow that he hangs in the clouds as the rainbow. So God is uh, rainbows are the word that comes up on your own uh, word search for those who are doing the word search. God has hung up his bow. He's hung up his bow. So there is to be no um, total destruction. Um, destruction will come when Christ returns, but for the moment, God has hung up his bow. And I think as well, there is a hint here um, that in this sign, and God has now added a sign to his covenant um, so that it will be remembered. I think he's, where is the bow pointing? That is the question. If God has hung up his bow, where is it pointing? And it's a sense, a sense and a real sense. I think it's pointing at himself. It's pointing at himself. How can a holy and pure God keep befriending sinful human beings? How can he step down now and make friends with Noah when Noah is not sinless? And when the people walk away again, how can he choose Abraham? Abraham's not sinless. How can he later on when Abraham's family are in sin, can he step down and, and rescue them through Moses? God keeps stepping in and forgiving sinful human beings and drawing them back into a covenant with himself. How can he do that? It's not just, it's not consistent with his character. Only one way 
only ultimately by taking the covenant curses upon himself, only ultimately by shooting himself, only by piercing himself. So it is another hint, the rainbow, that God himself will pay the price uh, of human sin. And as Sarah said then, it's a symbol of Christ that is to come. But I wonder whether you remember what John, um, what John sees in Revelation. Um, the Apostle John, when he steps into God's throne, what does he see? He says a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. So around God's throne, he sees it, a rainbow. And then he says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders in heaven um, right now. Were you to look, were you to get a glimpse, as John gets a glimpse, there is uh, a rainbow encircling the throne. And on the throne, uh, there is a lamb, a slain lamb, standing at the center of the throne. This is the reality that the rainbow points to. But in God's throne room, on God's throne, is a slain lamb. And it's the slain lamb that gives us access to the throne room. This is the ultimate significance of the rainbow sign. It's the Lord will uphold the covenant and he upholds the covenant through the death of Christ. Fourth thing, briefly, um, Noah and his descendants need a fourth kind of protection. And it's a protection from the Lord's holiness. They're going to need protection um, from the consequence of continuing sin. What is the first thing that, that Noah does? If you know the story, uh, what's pretty much the first thing that Noah does when he comes out of the ark, do you remember? He goes a bit overboard with the homebrew. Okay, that's what he does. He goes a bit overboard with the homebrew um, and he gets drunk and he passes out, <laughs> passes out naked um, inside his tent. Uh, he's going to need uh, he's going to need protecting from from God's uh, from the consequence of his sin in, in an ongoing way. How's he going to do that? Well, we have a hint. We have a hint in what Noah does, which is why we included the Romans eight thing. Uh, he makes a sacrifice. Uh, but there's a hint here again in this covenant in in Genesis nine. You mustn't eat meat with the lifeblood still in it. Again, this is just a hint. I think God has spoken to him. I think Noah understands it. It only gets written down um, under Moses. And this is what Moses writes. The life of a creature is in the blood. Um, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner resigning among you eat blood. So God says through Moses, you mustn't eat blood because Blood is where the, the life is and the lifeblood I've given to you to make sacrifice. So Noah's given another kind of protection. He's given uh, the means of sacrifice to be the sign of his sin paid for, which will fully come about in, in the slain lamb. He's given this little anticipation, this sign of, of the slain lamb, that he can come to God um, but he cannot approach the Lord um, without blood. 
can't approach the Lord without blood being shed. Neither can you. Neither can you. It's a serious thing to to approach the Lord. It's a serious and deadly thing to approach the Lord. Unless you approach with blood being shed. And we come to the Father, thankfully, we can come to the throne room of God. And we come to the Father through through the blood of the Son, because the slain lamb uh, is on the throne. And we are connected and empowered and, and directed by the Holy Spirit. But you need to remember this as you come before the Lord. And we do giving thanks. So I think... Uh, Let's, let me suggest a couple of little lessons out of what we've learned this morning. Let me put this back up. First thing I think you should do um, is rejoice in the covenant that we have. Rejoice in the covenant that we have. Noah had to build an ark and he had to get on board and that was his lifeboat, by faith he got on board and he was saved. And the first thing I would suggest you do this morning uh, is by faith, get on board. If you're not already on board, because um, we can rejoice in, a, a, in the fulfillment of all these covenants. And that is Christ, the slain lamb, um, one sacrifice um, made for all time. And I suggest that you use the benefits uh, of this covenant and this sacrifice that Christ has made and that you seek the Lord. And it came to me, uh, oh gosh, I was going to say, it came to me as a word of the Lord this morning. That sounds really grand. I had these words in my mind um, this morning uh, as I was praying um, that because uh, on, on the basis of, of what has been done in Christ, we should seek God's face. The Lord says, seek um, my face. And it comes a number of times in the Bible. Um, in Psalm 24, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Um, sorry, wrong verse. Um, Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And I want to encourage you uh, as we pray. And I guess this is, I'll be numbing and ahhing about doing some different prayer meetings. And I guess this is what tipped the balance this morning. So why I suggest we meet tonight to, to seek God's face. And we come before the Lord in, for different things, don't we? We come before him for his forgiveness, maybe. We come uh, for mercy, or we come because we're ill, or we come uh, because we want our, our kids to be saved. Um, I wonder how often do we come and seek his face? And I think in these words, seek his face, is a suggestion that we that we come before God and, and seek him for who he is. Come and seek him for who he is. Come and seek him for his, um, for his, just for his smile. Don't want to, be, not trying to be trite, but just come before God wanting to, to, to meet him face to face. So in Psalm 27, um, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face 
uh, away from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, for you've been my helper. I think we need, as, as God's people, we were talking about prayer and we'll be making prayer a priority this year. I wonder whether we need to come, uh, come to God and, and seek his face. And if you weren't there for espresso, um, Colin had some intriguing suggestions about how to uh, seek the Lord's face. Um, you'll have to ask him or go and get the, get the notes for that. I haven't got time to do that now. And 2 Corinthians is a thing that happens when we seek God's face, when we seek to look upon him um, in his holiness and ask him to, to look upon us. What happens is we change. And 2 Corinthians, I was going to say makes this clear, but it's, I'm not sure it's typical Paul. It's not desperately clear. Um, but he says we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from, from seeing it when it faded. Um, but he says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the, the veil is taken away. He says, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. When we come and seek the Lord's face, when we come and look him in the eye, um, it is impossible that we go away unchanged. We go away um, transformed a little bit more into his image with ever increasing glory. I'm calling upon you today, whatever state your prayer life is, is wherever you have been, um, to get on board and to come um, and seek the Lord's face. Seek the Lord's face before you seek him uh, for anything else. And well, because when we do, it is inevitable that we are transformed. And I just guess I'm thinking about my own experiences um, during sabbatical. Uh, I feel like I've met the Lord in a different way. The Lord has stepped. It's almost like the Lord has stepped across my path and said, look, and said, look me in the eye. You talk about me. You pray about a lot of things. But actually, firstly, I'm stepping into your path so that you look me in the eye and I want you to come and, and seek my face. And I think he says that to all of us. So we're to take hold of the covenant we have through Christ. I think the second thing to do, uh, don't lose heart that we're small in number. Um, only eight were saved. The whole people of God were eight at that point. Only 12 apostles were chosen. Uh, after the resurrection, there were only 120 people um, meeting in, in a room who, who were the, uh, the church. Um, in the background, the design group is still meeting with architects. We're still thinking about buildings at some point. We'll bring that back to you. There will be a point this year where we will look at this and we'll think, gosh, that's beyond us. Almost guarantee it. Um, and I think we'll then have to decide whether we're, we're like Noah. And Noah said, I can build this. And there will come a point, I think, where we'll feel small and we'll have to decide whether we can or we can't build in faith what the Lord's put before us and see whether, see whether and if he has put things in front of us. And remember, I guess, that Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And the third thing is, is to remember that 
that destruction is coming. God has hung up his bow. It is for a period of time. He is not executing judgment on people for their sins day by day. But there, a time is coming when he will return. And I want to read you that as I finish. Um, 2 Peter 3 says this. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. And I've written both of them as, as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where's this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. and The earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Indeed, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. But therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Father God, Thank you that you've suddenly chosen, you stepped down and offered us uh, a life raft as you did uh, to Noah. And we are your people, we have stepped on board. You've taken hold of Christ. We are in Christ. And having stepped on board in faith, you count us as righteous and we give you thanks and we give you glory for that today. And we thank you that that means that when destruction comes and we don't know 
because a thousand years is like a day to you and vice versa. We don't know whether that'll be soon or long. But we thank you when that day comes and we will be found and we'll be safe and we will be spared the fire. Lord, we're conscious that we're small in number and, and we ask you to give us courage. Keep us courageous in this time when we increasingly look like a, an out of touch minority. And we pray for those around us and we say, Father God, please spare them. In the same way that um, the people around Noah were destined for the flood, the people around us are destined for fire. We ask you, please, Lord, have mercy, don't do it and rescue many of them. Bring them on board, we pray. This is our prayer. And make us, Lord, this year, people of prayer who, who seek your face. People who will stop and look you in the eye and be transformed by that experience, by that moment. We ask you, Lord, that that will be a, a transforming thing for us this year, that our, in our praying we come face to face with you. And please, Lord, if we're slow to do that, will you need your mercy, will you stand in front of us in the ways that we cannot ignore? Because we long to be more holy and bring more glory to your name. And we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.